Okay, if you've got your Bibles with you, if you can turn to John chapter 15. Um, I don't know if any of you were down in town yesterday for the turning on of the lights, but we, uh, we went down there as a family. It was packed. I've never known it to be like that. I'd said kind of naively, uh, I'd, me and, um, I was, throughout the day I wasn't with, with the family for the whole of the day, but I'd said to Steph that I'd meet her and the kids in town. That was a really silly move because I had no hope of finding them uh, in there. But, you know, for, for me, being six foot four, six foot five, being in crowds is usually okay. I don't tend to feel that claustrophobic because I can at least breathe above what's going on. Uh, but even yesterday, it felt quite, felt quite claustrophobic. Uh, I asked someone if they'd seen where Steph and the children were, and they were like, well, if you can't see them, then we've got no chance of, of seeing them. But uh, that is one of the benefits of being so tall, generally. Uh, I, I think I take it for granted. Um, I should probably walk just to get a sense of how everyone else feels from time to time, just to see what it's like, just because I'm so used to being able to kind of see where I'm going, and I'm easy to spot in a crowd, which is always quite useful. Um, but there are benefits of being tall. I, I'm used often to get things off of shelves. If I go around people's houses, they ask me to, in shops as well, people ask me to help get stuff, stuff down. That happens quite often as well. I'm more than happy to do that. That's not a problem at all. Uh, but being as tall as I am does have challenges as well. I bang my head frequently on door frames and, and uh, light fittings and fixtures, uh, particularly at my in-laws house. Um, so that happens quite often. Uh, I've been hit in the head by a pigeon. Uh, <laughs> which I'm, I, I have to put down to the fact I'm so tall because it didn't hit anyone else uh, so it must be because I'm, I'm so tall uh, and, and it's also a challenge on, on flights as well on a plane um, I've kind of you have to, to resort to some sort of next level contortionism to be able to, to fit in which is fine but I'm finding that kind of the older I get and I appreciate I'm still quite young but the older I get I'm like losing a bit of flexibility and it's more and more of a challenge to the point where I think fairly soon I'll just ask him to lay me out in the aisle and we'll just kind of work around it like that. Um, but one of the other things as well that, that you may be aware of or not, if you've ever gone to, to theme parks or amusement parks, for the attractions they have height restrictions don't they? And they have them for minimum height restrictions but I don't know if you've noticed this, they have them for maximum height restrictions as well. Uh, just in, Not on many of the rides but on some of them. Um, so I'm kind of like, I have to I, th I think I'm kind of on the borderline of some of those, so I have to pay that attention. On the kiddies, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're too tall to go on this one. You need to go on something else. Um, but they have these restrictions in, in place for security and for safety when you're on those rides. And we were at Legoland a, a few weeks ago as a family. Um, and, uh, you know, they, again, there's not particularly many wild rides at Legoland. It's all fairly chilled out. But they do, as, as you would expect, they place a really high. Um, high value on making sure that their security and safety checks are all very high. And I hadn't noticed this before, but on all of the rides that we went on at Legoland, as you, you kind of, you know, sometimes it might be the bar that comes down or a strap that comes across or a door that's locked. Every time someone would come around and they would check that you were secure in there. And that's not unusual, but I'd never noticed this before any other places, but they were going around and when they were checking you, they would say, safety checks complete, you are secure. That's what they would say to everyone. Safety checks complete, you are secure. And I was kind of thinking on this, I was just like, I've not really, I've not noticed that before. I don't know if I've ever been anywhere where they've done that before. And I think maybe one part of it is for the sake of the person who's doing it, maybe the fact that they verbalised it will help them in knowing, okay, I've gone around and I've done what I need to do. But actually, for you as the person who's on the ride, it's so reassuring when someone comes around and says, you are secure, I've checked this and you are secure. You know, to have someone declare that you're secure makes all the difference in terms of how you face what's to come. 
and thinking in terms of maybe if we're thinking in terms of a, an, an, a, an attraction at an amusement ride, you know, that means that through what, what thrills are coming or what uh, scares are coming up, or the times where you feel completely out of control, actually, someone has said to you, you are secure. And actually, knowing that means that you can kind of enjoy what is, what is going to be coming up because someone has said, actually, there might be some frightening times and there might be some times where things feel out of control, but I've checked you. You're okay. Uh, you are secure. And I was thinking on this, I have moments sometimes where I say this step, I'm like, I think God's trying to talk to me uh, in this, so I just need to ponder on it a little more. And it made me think, actually, if you have put your trust in Jesus, so if you are living with him as king of your life, it means that you are in him. It means that you are united with him. And if you are in him, then you are secure. Whatever is ahead of you, he, Jesus himself, has declared to you, you are secure. So whatever lies ahead of us, whatever we're facing at this current time, whatever lies ahead of us, none of us know what is going to happen in the future, do we? We, we just, there's no way that we can know. But actually, with whatever is in front of us and whatever life has for us, Jesus has declared, you are secure. In the sense that eternally you are found in him. That whatever happens in this life, you have a hope in him and you have security in him. And really, I'm saying this because this is where we started our new series last week. We're going to be spending a number of weeks, I think we've got today and two more weeks, looking at John 15. And it's a conversation, well, it's Jesus sharing some words with his disciples. And we're going to be kind of unpacking those together. And we, as Mike has already mentioned, this series is called Abide. And we'll understand a little bit more today about what actually that word abide means. But really, it's about remaining in Jesus or staying connected to him. And last week we were, were starting, we only really uh, focused on, on a few words that Jesus mentioned right at the start. And he calls himself the true vine. He says, I am the true vine. And in doing so, he draws on this picture uh, that had been used of, of the nation of Israel. Israel was, was A symbol for Israel was that of a vine. And we were considering last week how Israel, God had given Israel, his people, a long-term role that through them all the nations of the earth would be blessed and that through them salvation would come to all nations. But they've failed in that, that commissioning, that role that, that God had given to them. And yet that role finds its fulfillment in Jesus. That's what we were looking at last week, wasn't it? How through Jesus, that, that role of all of the nations being blessed and salvation coming to all nations, that was fulfilled in him. So as Jesus establishes himself as the true vine, what that means is that we can be found in him. We can be connected into him. And this is where that thing of, of security and being connected is so important because it's in him. He is the true vine and we are found in him. Jesus himself said, I have come that they may have life. He comes to give life to those who are spiritually dead. And so when we think of, we've got those words of Jesus kind of ringing in our, in our ears. The imagery of the vine is really helpful in conveying actually the life that we have comes from being in Jesus. Just as the life of a branch is dependent on the vine. That branch outside, if it's not connected to the vine, it, it, there's, there's no life there. And actually that branch is utterly and totally dependent on life flowing from the vine into the, into the branch. In the same way that we are totally dependent on Jesus in terms of his life flowing, in, flowing into us. And then, so as Jesus continues through the rest of John 15, what he's going to say and what we're going to read in just a moment flows out from that truth. 
He is the vine, we are connected in him. Any life that we have flows from being, being connected in to him. Okay. So the words that we're going to read now, I want us to keep that truth in our minds because everything else that he says and everything else that he, he tells his disciples to do flows out from that truth. So let's read from verse 1 of chapter 15. Uh, so this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says that I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So if we were to, to kind of summarize those verses, I would perhaps summarize them like this, is that the only way to bear fruit, and we're talking about fruit that will last, the only way to bear fruit, Fruit that will last is by being found in Jesus and by abiding in him. Really, that's the summary of what, of what we've just heard there. And we're going to unpack that together this morning. We're going to dig into that a little bit. So I'm going to say the word fruit a lot. I'm sure I am. When I was doing my notes, I, I did write the word fruit a lot. So if I'm going to be using the word fruit a lot, actually, I think it's helpful for us to kind of establish what we mean by that. Because there's a potential when we look at... In many ways, it's so helpful when we use kind of pictorial language and imagery to help convey an idea or to convey something, which is great. But if we're not careful, if we don't actually understand what that imagery is representing, it can just stay as quite an abstract idea. So actually, we need to understand. I don't want us to not have a good understanding of what we mean by fruit, because otherwise what I'm going to be saying today won't make a lot of sense. You'll just walk away from here thinking Sam just said fruit a lot. Um, but actually, we need to understand what that means and what Jesus is talking about. <coughs> I think the first thing we need to look at is in Galatians 5.22. Uh, and this is Paul right to the church in Galatia, and he's speaking about the fruit of the Spirit. So this is something that is produced within believers that the Spirit produces within them. And he says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control and how against these things there is no law so in one sense when we're thinking about fruitfulness when Jesus is saying you I want you to bear fruit actually one of those things will be in terms of the, the, the godly character that the spirit produces within us when we think about the fruit of the spirit and the fruit of the spirit we see displayed perfectly in Jesus so if we're to be growing in in the fruit of the spirit and and having that uh, our the, the transformation of our character, what we're doing is we're becoming more and more like Jesus. So actually, that's one way in which we're thinking of this is what bearing fruit looks like. It's growing in that godly character and in the likeness of Jesus. So that's one of the things I want us to bear in mind. The second thing is this, in Colossians 1, verse 9 to 10, this is Paul writing again, this time to the church in Colossae. He says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. 
So there's this sense that actually there are works that God has called us to. There are things that we go about, particularly when we're thinking about what it is to be witnesses for him and how we serve our communities and seeking justice for people. There are things that God has prepared for us to do that it is his intention that they are fruitful, that they flourish, that it produces something. So that's another way of what, in, in which we can... Um, that we need to kind of understand when we're thinking about what does it mean to bear fruit? Actually, we're to be fruitful in, in good works. There's something that we've been called to do that, that produces something of eternal significance. And the final thing for us to think about is this, and that's the context into which Jesus was speaking to the disciples. So this was in the time where he's already told them that he's going to go away, he's going uh, to go and be crucified. And he's preparing them for, for that. And like, actually, I'm not going to be with you all the time. I'm sending the Spirit to be with you, but I'm going to have to go away. And really, he's spending this time of preparation where ultimately he comes to give them that commission where he says, I've, I, you are to go and make disciples of all nations. So actually, if he's preparing the disciples for that, to see fruit, in, to see fruit within that context is to see lives impacted and changed by Jesus seeing salvation coming and disciples being made. So there's fruit in terms of people getting saved and added into God's family and added into God's kingdom. Okay, so I know there's quite a, a lot there, but so we're thinking about fruit in terms, of, um, in terms of transformation of character, fruit that he produces. We're speaking about fruit in terms of fruitfulness of the good works that he has called us to. And we're speaking of fruit in terms of men and women and children being added in and brought into the kingdom of God. So just helpful, I think, for us just to lay that foundation before we actually go any further. And what we see in these verses is this, is that God's purpose for his people is that they bear fruit. You can't escape that. That's his heart for his people, is that they bear fruit in all of those areas. I mentioned earlier that Jesus said, I have come that they may have life. But he also goes on to say, and they are to have it abundantly, to have life to the full. What that means is that they're to have a full, joyful life, kind of overflowing with meaningful activity that he has called them into. And it's just this sense of of abundance and and fullness, not kind of half measures or anything stingy. It's like there's just a real sense of, actually, I've got so much for you to, to enjoy, so much for you to live in, so much for you to press into. And if we look at verse 2 and verse 25 of, of, uh, of these words in John 15, um, doesn't it say here, it says that he prunes that uh, he prunes the branches that it may bear more fruit. There's this sense of abundance coming through. And then in verse 5, um, it says that if whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So we've got this kind of, I, I think it's a bit of a, like an insight into God's heart for us. Um, that he, it, it's his desire for us. It, it, his desire for us is that he has purposed us to bear fruit and much of it. Okay, so it's not just that we're to bear some fruit. Actually, it's his heart and his desire that we are those that bear much fruit. Uh, and again, I think that's really helpful that we have that right at the forefront of our minds as we continue this morning. So much fruit in terms of transformation of our character and good works and in seeing salvation come to all nations. But how does this fruit come about then? We know it's God's desire that we bear fruit. How does this fruit come about? Now, um, I have a branch. I plucked it from the garden freshly. You can see it's kind of ripped, ripped off. That's about the extent of my gardening ability. Don't know why I was looking at you there, Pete, sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, 
so I was watching a, a talk by Francis Chan and he used this as a visual aid and I just thought it was really helpful. Um, and he asked this question, is that if, so we've got this branch, obviously we've got a branch here, not attached to a tree. If we all tried really hard, could we make fruit appear or could we make this branch produce any fruit? What if, if we, all of us, all together, tried as hard as we could, all of us, could we, could we see this branch bear fruit? He says the best we could do, perhaps we could get some fruit and sellotape it or stick it to it to give the illusions, like, to make it look like it's born fruit. But it kind of, see, it, all of us are just like, but no, we know that couldn't happen because that's not how fruit is produced. That branch has to be connected into the tree or it has to be connected into the vine. What will happen to this branch now? It will wither and it will die because it's not been connected. No, that's going to be, that's not going to work. It won't bear fruit. But he, he kind of brings this challenge in when he's speaking about it front to He says, but how often do we try and produce fruit and have fruitful lives by trying out of our own ability and out of our own understanding and out of our own strength? And actually, when we're trying to do that, it, we need to recognise that when we try and do that, it's almost as, it, it's, it is as futile and even in some ways as ridiculous as us thinking that that branch that's been disconnected from the tree is going to be able to bear any fruit. You see, it will not bear fruit because it's not attached to the vine. And this is the imagery that Jesus draws upon when he's speaking to his disciples. He's saying, just as a branch has to abide in the vine to produce fruit, so it is with his disciples. If we are to bear fruit, we have to recognise that this can only happen by being found in Jesus and by remaining in him. In the same way that a branch has to remain in the vine. <coughs> we, would, we would not expect that branch to bear fruit, would we? So we cannot expect us to be those that bear fruit, doing so in a way that is independent from being connected into Jesus and remaining in and abiding in him. To abide in Jesus is the only way that anything of eternal significance is possible. I'm going to say that again because I think it's a really important thing that we that we understand to abide in Jesus is the only way that anything of eternal significance is possible. The reason I say this is because Jesus himself says, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's not that your, your yield or your crop will be smaller. He's saying, actually, there's no other way. You will produce nothing outside of being connected to and abiding in me. I also feel something that is really important for us to that kind of needs to be said and for us to, to recognise is this, is that fruitfulness is not a demand, it's a promise. Fruitfulness is not a demand, actually it's a promise. When Jesus says uh, in verse 5, let me just read it again, he says that I am the vine and you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. What Jesus is saying there is Jesus is giving it's a guarantee of what he will do through us. I find that really freeing, actually. Yeah, I know God's heart and his desire is that we are those that bear fruit and we bear much fruit. But it's not that he's demanding us to do it. He's saying, look, I'm giving you a guarantee that if you do what I've told you to do, if you do what Jesus calls you to do, you will bear fruit. It's a promise of what he will do. 
See, when we abide, what we're saying is, Jesus, I trust you to fulfill your promise to us. If we see this call to fruitfulness as as a demand, it can lead us to a place of feeling pressure to produce fruit ourselves. And the danger of that is we can then shift our dependence from being on Jesus. uh, and, And instead of having our dependence on being totally on Jesus, we can live as though any fruitfulness that we will see is totally dependent on us. Because we feel a pressure. I've got to be producing fruit. I've got to be bearing fruit. And so the tendency can be actually I'm going to depend less on him. And I'm going to think actually this depends more on myself. And that's a danger we need to be aware of. Because I think it's somewhere that could be quite easy for us to to go to. Bearing fruit comes naturally to a branch, doesn't it? If you were to to leave a tree or a vine, it would bear fruit. It's what happens. It just comes naturally out of it. A vine doesn't produce a grape by straining really hard, does it? That's not how it works. In that sense, it doesn't have to work and strain them through its own effort. I'm going to produce a grape! That's not how vines work. Branches just naturally produce fruit. I nearly did myself a mischief there. Did you? (laughs) So we must be mindful that the fruit that Jesus speaks of comes not by our effort, not by our strength, not by our busyness, not by our might, not by our ability. It's Jesus' work in us. It is Jesus' work in us. Yes, he calls us to activity. And he calls us to good works. And he calls us to certain things. But we do so as, always as a response to him. That comes out of that, being, that connectedness that we have with him. And that abiding that we have with him. Bruce Milne in his commentary puts it like this. He says that fruit bearing for God is not a human possibility it is Christ's work through us. Okay? Maybe at this point it feels like I've said the same thing quite a few times, but that's because I just want us to really understand this and to, to kind of really drill it, drill it in. See, when we realise that we cannot produce the fruit, it releases us from the pressure of producing. It releases us from the pressure of producing. So you might be thinking, okay then, so do we play any part in this? Are we just to, to sit back and, and just wait for, for Jesus to produce fruit within us? How do we reconcile this with the call to be those that, that do good works? And how do we reconcile this with the call to be witnesses and to make disciples? If we're saying actually any fruit has to come through, through us abiding in Jesus, how do we kind of work that out when we know that we are called to activity and kingdom activity? We kind of just want to, again, want to make sure we, we're understanding what Jesus is saying here. So what role do we play in this? Jesus says it. He says, abide in me. That is what we are called to do. If we want to see him producing fruit in our lives, we have to abide in him. Abide is not a word that we use very often. <laughs> uh, maybe even outside of, outside of, of church. And that, for, I know for myself, it's not a word I hear very often at all, we might hear it when at the, I know some sporting events they sing abide with me at the start, that might be the only time really that we hear it, but what does it mean to abide, I'm not going to say a huge amount on this because this is really what Pete's going to be focusing on next week when he speaks and he's really going to be unpacking a lot more of what does it look like to abide practically, how does it work itself out, but I will just say a few things on, on what abiding is, again, just because I think it's helpful for us at this point to, to at least get, get a bit of an understanding of that. The first thing is that to abide is to be united to Jesus, which is kind of where we were starting, about what it is to be connected into Jesus as the, as the true vine. 
uh, and if we're connected in him, it means that we have the life-giving connection to him. We are in him. We are secure in him. He has declared over us, you are secure. If we're not of him, if we're not connected, then there is no life. And if there's no life, there's no possibility of any fruit. So that's the first thing. To abide in him is to be united to, connected in him. In terms of the, the, that, that point where we said, actually, Jesus, I recognize that you gave yourself for me, that you are the only way for me to be reconciled to the Father. I'm going to put my faith and my trust entirely in you and in your sacrifice. I'm going to turn away from my old way of living and I'm going to live with you as king of my life. And it's at that point where we put our faith and our trust in him, what we might say when it is that we are saved in him, then we are united in him and we are secure and we are found in Jesus. That is the first part of what it is to be abiding in him. You cannot abide in him if you are not connected into the vine. And we're only connected into the vine because of his grace to us and the offer that he has given to us of, of salvation. So that's the first thing. The second thing is to abide is to rely on Jesus. So we're connected to him, but we're also to rely on him. A branch is dependent on the vine. We've kind of already touched on that a little bit today. A branch is dependent on the vine. Without the vine, a branch is lifeless. It is fruitless. And as we've already said, if, if that branch is not connected to the vine, then it will wither and it will die. The branch receives all that the vine has to give to it. It is totally dependent on the vine. And so when we're thinking in terms of, of natural, in kind of natural senses, uh, the sap, it is the sap that flows from the vine into the branches that supplies the water and nutrients and everything that it needs for growth in the same way as those of us who are found in Jesus. To abide in him means we rely on him. Everything that we have of, of everything that, that we have of God through him, he gives to us. It all comes from him. Whatever growth we see comes from him. See, when we're united to Jesus, we receive all that we need from him by grace. We are completely dependent on him. All that God is for us in him is flowing into our lives. Okay, so there's that sense of we rely on Jesus. And then thirdly, to abide is to remain in Jesus. We're to remain. The word abide, actually, if you wanted a definition of abide, it means to remain or not to depart, to be kept continually so it's that sense of not going off somewhere else but to kind of to, to remain and to stay where you are so we're united in jesus we rely on him but we're also called to remain in him that means we go on trusting him we go on believing him we go on resting in him we go on receiving from him we go on persevering in him we don't try and do those things independently of him we have to remain in him, we stay connected to him, we remain in fellowship with him. And this is, has to be, it has to be a daily reality for us. Because I think actually there's a sense in which the, the extent to which we remain in him depends on, on us making that decision that we are going to remain in him. Doesn't mean that we're not connected to him, but actually we have that decision daily, don't we? Are we going to keep trusting him? Are we going to keep persevering with him? Are we going to keep in fellowship with him? Are we going to keep receiving from him? Are we going to keep resting from him? These are daily decisions that we all have to make. Okay? So to abide means that we are connected to him. It means that we rely on him. And it means that we remain 
in him. There's a guy called Andrew Murray. It's not the guy that you might be thinking of. <laughs> not the Scottish tennis player. But this Andrew Murray I'm speaking about, he's a South African teacher and an author. And he says that the vine provides the sap and the life and the strength. The branch waits and rests and receives and bears the fruit. Jesus is the true vine. Jesus is the true vine. But he also speaks of God the Father, doesn't he, in these verses? He says, I am the true vine, but he says, my Father is the vine dresser. So we've got something of the role of Jesus, but then there's something of the role of the Father as well. Now the vine dresser is the one who, who prunes and cultivates and tends, tends the vine. Make sure that it's looked after, that it's healthy, that it's producing the fruit that it could be producing. And God the Father is vine dresser. Jesus says he does two things. The first thing he does is that he removes the unfruitful branches. He says this in verse 2, doesn't he? He says that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. <coughs> but then in the last verse we read in verse 6, he also says that if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And those branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burnt. Okay, so there's that. I think those, those two verses we need to... To understand together, there, there's a lot of there are different um, kind of explanations put forward as to what Jesus is talking about there. Actually, it doesn't sound like a great thing, does it? That actually, there's going to be some in terms of branches that are going to be taken away and cut out and and removed. So we just want to. I just I don't want to spend too long on this, but I just want to just want to teach quickly into it so we can have a, an understanding of what he's talking about and really this is where I've, I feel settled on where I feel actually this is I feel settled on, on this in terms of what Jesus would be saying the first thing I want to say is this because we need to say okay so what is happening when we're talking about the vine dresser removing unfruitful branches John 10 verse 28 to 29 so this is Jesus speaking again and I think this is really is to be our starting point Jesus says that I will give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. He says, I am the, I am the Father of one. So I think this, what we need to recognise is Jesus is saying, actually, those who are mine, no one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. If you're secure in him, you're secure in him and nothing will change that. Again, it's where we started today. If you're in him, you're secure. And I think we need to, I just want us to start there in terms of understanding, okay, so what's Jesus talking about in these branches that are going to be taken out? Actually, if you're in him, if you are truly in him, no one or nothing, Jesus himself said, no one will be able to snatch them out of his hand. If you're his, if you're truly his, you are his, okay? Then I want us to look at some other verses, okay? We're going to jump to 1 John 2. 19. I found John Piper really helpful on this, and he suggested these verses here. 1 John 2.19. Actually, this is a warning about those who are going to be coming into the church, uh, who are actually going to be, be against God, even though they might present themselves as being believers. He says that they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. So in a sense, what John is saying, 
uh, or, or what John could be saying here is that there's, it's possible to have some sort of an external attachment to Jesus that is not a saving one. In the sense that someone might be able to say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, or my faith is in Jesus. But actually it's only an, a, kind of a superficial external attachment that someone has made. But if you were to look at, the, at the, their life over a period of time, actually, uh, so they might claim to follow Jesus, but the evidence in their life shows them to be fruitless. It actually shows that there is no genuine connection to Jesus. Even though there might be this, this kind of external, superficial attachment where they're saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus, or, you, you know, I'm saved. Actually, if you were to look at their lives, the evidence of it would be that actually they're not truly connected in. So this is kind of where I'm settled on it. Actually, it's this sense that there are those that might proclaim to be, to be Christians, but actually the evidence would show that they're, they're not truly saved. Does that make sense? And there's this, so actually there's this, this removing of those, and, it's, and it comes from how do we... It's the fruitlessness of their lives that actually shows that they weren't truly connected in, to him in the first place. It's, it's a sobering, it's a very sobering and, and serious thing to recognise, but I didn't just want to kind of ignore it because we need to I wouldn't want people to walk away from here thinking yeah but what does this mean and I wouldn't want anyone here to be to, for it to cause concern in, in a way that would be unnecessary or would be unhelpful but it's just that recognition there will be some that will proclaim they know him but actually the evidence of their life over time would show that there's not actually that genuine connection we, we could look at Judas as an example of this someone who actually was you know by all accounts externally he was following Jesus but we see that the, where he where he got to, and you're like, actually, there was never that there. Okay, so I'm not going to dwell too much on here. Uh, so that in that one sense, that the the vine dresser removes unfruitful branches, but secondly, he pr- he, he prunes my right and terrible. He prunes branches that bear fruit. So that's the second thing the vine dresser does is that he prunes the branches that bear fruit. There's a guy named Mike Green. He does some really helpful stuff on discipleship. And there's a book that, he, that he's written about this. And, and in this book, he kind of explains what, uh, a little bit about what it was like to grow grapes and, and to grow vines at the time when Jesus was ministering um, in that sort of first century Palestine. He's saying that a vine would be cultivated and planted, but then it would be left for three years before it was allowed to bear any fruit. So any time it seemed to be bearing the fruit would be cut back uh, but then after three years it would be allowed to, the grapes were left to grow but the branches were now strong enough in a way that they wouldn't have been had they not undergone that pruning process so there's actually, it needed that cultivating and that pruning in order to give that strength to, in order that when the bigger yields and the bigger crops come, the branches were able to hold that and, and to sustain that and then after the harvest the branches were pruned back again in order that more, they would be even more fruitful in the, in the following harvest. So, you know, when Jesus was saying this, people would have understood what he was, what he was talking about in terms of the pruning imagery there. <coughs> I just want to finish with, with a few thoughts about um, what it means then for us to be pruned by, by the Father, by the vine dress. And there's just a few things that came to my mind. There are probably more things that we could draw out, but there's a few things that came to my mind. The first thing is this, is that we, our garden, we don't have fruit trees in our garden, but it gets to a point where our garden gets pretty wild and pretty unruly, uh, and some of the trees and bushes have, have just gone a bit wild. And so either Steph or myself will go in, we don't really know what we're doing, we will just cut it 
we'll just cut everything back. Uh, but it's that sense of we just kind of want to get it, get things under control and tame tame the things that have gone a bit wild and just maintain what is there. What we are doing is not pruning. <laughs> We're just cutting things back just to make things look a bit nicer and a bit tidier and whatever. That is not pruning. Pruning is not about taming unruly plants. It is not about keeping things under control. My dad, he worked for many years as, as a farmer uh, on a fruit farm. And I remember throughout my childhood going with him, there'd be lots of people that would ask him to come and prune the, the trees in their garden because he would know what he was doing. Because it's actually a very skilled uh, thing to be able to do and to do well. Um, and, and the specific purpose in pruning is to increase yields of fruit. It's to make sure that the trees or the, or the vines are, are producing as much fruit as they can or kind of increasing the amount of fruit. So we need to recognize that. So God's, with God's pruning, we can look at his pruning as a punishment. If we think about what it is, that imagery of being pruned, of having things cut back, we might think, actually, is this something about God's punishing us? Is it God's way of keeping things under control? Is it God's way of kind of taming us when we've got a little bit wild and unruly? But what we have to recognize is this is that pruning doesn't happen to unfruitful branches, but it happens to those branches that are producing fruit. It's not a punishment thing. This is a, you are bearing fruit, but I want you to be able to bear more fruit. And in order for you to do that, that requires me pruning things in your life, maybe cutting some things out and taking some things away that would, that would otherwise be hindering the fruitfulness or the potential for fruitfulness that you have in your life. It's in order that they would be even more fruitful. So what does this pruning look like? Uh, or how does this pruning happen? I think the first thing would be it happens through the word. It happens through being in the, being, uh, in the scriptures. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So there's that sense of actually God's word bringing that, that pruning to us. It, it, it equips us and it trains us. Uh, and it shapes us in order that we are prepared for every good work. So I think pruning looks like that. Pruning comes through the word. Pruning, I think, can also come through God disciplining us. If there are things in our life that are unpleasing to him, if there's sin that remains in our life, actually there'll be times where God, in his grace, uh, and as a father, will come and he'll bring discipline in the sense that he's dealing with things that may hinder our fruitfulness. And he'll say, actually, I just need to cut these things out because they're hindering you in what I've called you to. And actually pruning can come through difficulties and trials. This can be a really hard one for us to take and a hard one for us to, to get our heads around. But in terms of thinking about what it is for those branches to, to, to be strengthened and to be prepared and to be equipped, actually, sometimes God enables us or allows us to go through difficulties and trials in order that some things would be cut away. But also in that strength, would come as well for the things that he would have for us in terms of bearing fruit to come. But it can also mean God cutting back things that are already fruitful or things that we might consider to be successful. This can be a, this can be a really painful one where we feel like actually God might say to you, actually I want you to step back from this thing that you have been doing for me where you have been seeing fruit and you have been seeing in our, however we might define success, some sort of success. But actually pruning can be, I'm going to take away something that is fruitful in order that we will see something that is even more fruitful coming through. 
The second thing is this, is that I think we need to be able to recognize seasons and not be in a rush for things to move on. We, in many contexts today, people talk a lot about productivity, people talk about efficiency, how can we be as productive as we can, as efficiently as we can. Um, I'm sure all of us can relate to either on our phones or, or laptops or tablets, whatever it might be, every now and then you get update, click here for the latest update because the latest updates mean that things will run quicker and smoother and more efficiently than they would before. And this is kind of the, a lot of the mindset that we have in terms of this drivenness for productivity and efficiency. And I feel like we might need to change our mindsets away from efficiency and updates and more in line with this, this kind of horticultural uh, metaphor that Jesus uses. In the sense, you know, you can update a phone in minutes, but it takes time to grow fruit. And growing fruit takes going through seasons. And it requires pruning. And if we're thinking all the while in terms of, in ways that we might relate to in terms of, yeah, okay, so we can update our phones so we can be more productive and more efficient in that way. That's not at all what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about bearing fruit. And that takes time. So we need to realize that sometimes the pruning process, as much as we would want the pruning process to be quick and easy, sometimes it takes time for God to work in our lives and to, uh, to, 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 to work things through with us. But it's not just about the fruit. I think it's also about the relationship between the vine and the branches and between the branches and the vine dresser. It's not just about... We're not just... Yeah, you're just here to produce fruit, produce fruit. Actually, God cares about the relationship that we have with Him. And so even within that pruning process, this is, this is God the Father saying, actually, I know what is best for you. It is my heart that you are more fruitful than you are already. You're already bearing fruit, and I love that. But actually, let's just work on this. Let's just cut this out. Let's just work here, because I'm for you, and I want you to be more fruitful. But it's as much about that relationship as it is about what is produced from it. I'm going to kind of mix, switch metaphors a bit now. If we think about farming in terms of livestock farming now, whether you're thinking about cows or chickens or pigs, uh, whatever, whatever else we might think of, they are chosen for their ability to produce, aren't they? And for the quality of their, their produce. Their value is dependent on how productive they are or on what qualities they might be able to pass on. But Psalm 139 says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Zephaniah and Zephaniah says that he, reduce, he, he rejoices over us with singing. You see, God prunes us, and, and, and as he does prune us, we need to know that, that he's not doing so with us as sort of his commodities in terms of what can he gain out of us. He's pruning us as his children. That relationship there is so important. He's not just looking at us in terms of, well, what can I get out of you as quickly as I can? He's saying, you're my children, and any pruning I do comes from a place of a heart of, of a father's heart and a place of grace and a place of love. And actually the fruit we produce is the evidence of that relationship. Again, I think that's really key. The fruit we produce is evidence of that relationship that we have. And finally, I want to say this. Um, and I think this is key. The third thing is we are not self-pruners. If we are left to our own devices, we will not, we will not prune ourselves well, if at all. We may think we know where we need to be pruned. We might be aware of things that may hinder fruitfulness. And to be fair, we might feel, actually, I can get those things resolved and sorted on my own. But the other temptation would be, actually, we might recognise there are things that are hindering my fruitfulness, but I'm not prepared to give that up. Or I don't want to 
to give that up. There's a, a struggle that goes on here. So we are not self-pruners, but what we need to do is we need to submit ourselves to God. And we need to submit ourselves to God in his wisdom and in his foreknowledge. Trusting that he knows what he's doing. And he knows what fruit there is to come. What fruit there is to bear. When he prunes us, we might want to step away. When we're going through a time of pruning, we might even question his goodness towards us. But Romans 8.28 says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Actually, God can work all things it is his heart that he works all things for good for those who love him and actually that means the pruning he is doing in us even though it might be painful even though it might be frustrating he's doing it for our good so it's good for us to be reminded of that if we start to question his goodness in that pruning can be uncomfortable it can be painful but hold on to the truth that he prunes us in order that we might bear more fruit that is his desire and his purpose do not step away Stay close and keep abiding in him. And I think for us as a church as well, where we're at the season we're in, we've had a number of words over us around pruning and that what God is doing at the minute is a season of pruning. In all honesty, it's been quite a painful season where we've, had to, we've sent and said goodbye to a number of people. And in that sense where we're thinking about sometimes pruning is God removing those things that are fruitful and, and actually we've lost we've not lost that's not the right word we've sent or god has called people who have been bearing good fruit among us he has called them elsewhere but we have to hold on to it if god is pruning us then it means that he will take away what is already fruitful in order that we will bear more fruit we have that responsibility individually we need to keep abiding in him allow him submit to his pruning and allow him to do what he needs to do in order that we individually and corporately will bear more fruit than we have up to this point i just wanted to i think just speaking about pruning and fruitfulness i think where we're at as a church it's just right that we think actually if god if you've been speaking to us about pruning then we need to recognize why is it that you're doing it what is your heart in this for me individually i know through this season god has done a lot of work in me and has been cutting a lot of stuff away in my life and it has some of it has been painful but i'm grateful for it because there's been a season of rest, kind of things have just allowed, have been allowed that space for God to touch on things that maybe otherwise he wouldn't have been able to do. Or maybe I wouldn't have allowed him, <laughs> wouldn't have allowed him to do. But so for us, just individually, let's be those that submit to his pruning and say, God, actually, we want to be those that bear fruit. You do what you need to do, but we're going to stay close and we're going to keep abiding in you. So it can kind of be summarized as this. See to the abiding and he will see to the fruit. Can I pray?